Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. So Pastor Chad has been walking us through a series called Flip the Script. And this week, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a different direction. Uh, you know, church, I have to be honest with you, it's kind of hard to think that we are 11 days away from Thanksgiving. You think about it, yesterday, we had snow. I mean, I wasn't ready for that. How many of you guys were ready for that? The weather's changing. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm ready for it. But yeah, but the weather's changing. The holidays are coming. 11 days away. Thanksgiving is a, a great holiday to celebrate with family. It's a great time to take some time to give some thanks. And uh, this year in the Kurtz home, it's just we're just a little bit more thankful uh, this year. Uh, many of you guys know Mar and I became grandparents this year, and so this is we have a picture. You know, Pastor Chad shows his pictures all the time, so it's my turn. So this is our granddaughter Harper, and so we're so thankful that Harper's here. She's got phenomenal parents, and so this is what we're so thankful about this year. Um, yeah, you can clap for her. Yeah. That's- I don't know about your house, but my wife, you know, Mara and I, we started, we sat down this week, started sitting down, started talking about Thanksgiving, you know, uh, took some time to plan it, planning what to do, you know, what time we're going to get together, uh, the big question, do we have turkey, or do we have turkey and ham, who's coming, who's bringing what, you know, uh, for me, you know, I want to know my favorite dish is coming. You know, how many of you guys have a favorite dish at Thanksgiving? You got to make sure it's there for Thanksgiving. Well, mine is a cherry pie. You know, a cherry pie has to be there. I don't care what else is there, but make sure a cherry pie is there. And so that's the first question I asked Mar, and I was like, so who's bringing the cherry pie? Make sure we have it there. And as we sat and talked, I know what my wife Marn was thinking about. She was thinking about the table, the table at Thanksgiving. She was already starting to think about, man, who's going to sit around this table? What's the table going to look like? How many seats does she need? What's the centerpiece going to be? All those things are going to take place. She was thinking all that right there. And at our house, the Thanksgiving table is important. That's where everyone comes together. That's where we sit. That's where our conversations are going to be. That's where we're going to eat. Eventually, we're going to play games there. Eventually, someone from the table is going to walk away Thanksgiving being the winner for Thanksgiving and can brag. The competition is going to take place here, whatever game we're playing. The table is important. It's an important piece of Thanksgiving. And as I started to think about the table... I saw the table in a different way. Tables are one of the most important places for human connections. In our culture, in our society, we do so much connecting around the table. Think about that for a second. We talk around the tables. We do business deals around tables. We do transactions around tables. We have meetings around tables. We play games around tables. We have family discussions around tables. We do homework around tables, and my favorite thing to do around the table 
is eat. (laughs) And when we dive into Scripture, we see God showing up around tables. In the Bible, you'll find a table at the center of the spiritual lives of God's people. We see this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God showing up around the table. When Jesus wanted to explain to disciples about his coming death, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal around a table. We see this in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 21. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And I want to look at that word real quick, reclining. Because when we see that, I think some of us think, man, Jesus was sitting at the lazy boy, had his feet kicked up, he was just chilling out, he was having a good old time. And I want us to think that. We have that famous painting out there from Leonardo da Vinci of the Last Supper, where Jesus is sitting at the table, he's in the center of the table, and it looks like almost like a normal table and chairs, doesn't it? But that's not really what that was about. I mean, that's not really how that took place. When Jesus was sitting at the table, you see that he was reclining. But really that approach, how that looked like is this. They had a table and they had couches. And they would approach those couches from behind. And they would come in and lean on their left side. And they kind of sit like this and use their right hand to eat. I have a picture of that, a painting that kind of shows that a little bit more. You see that's how it took place like this. So when we see that it's reclining in Scripture, this is what it really means, is this is how they were sitting at the table. This is how things were being done there. And we see around the table, God shows up. We also see around the table that Jesus was anointed with oil. Mark chapter 14, verses 3, while he was at Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pyrenard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This is an important event. Why? Because Jesus revealed himself to the people around the table. God shows up around the table. Jesus ministered to sinners around a table. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Why Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Look, the sinners were comfortable to come to the table and sit with Jesus. Jesus had them at the table, and guess what happened? God showed up. In this story here, this is where Matthew was called to follow Jesus. You know, when I think about the table, think about all the important things that happened in my life around the table. Mar and I met in high school and started to date, and I brought a picture today to show you of us what we look like in high school. Look at this. I had to bring this picture because a lot of you guys don't believe I had hair. <laughs> and so this is Mar and I in high school. Back in that day, I used to carry a comb in my pocket. Now I don't have to carry that anymore. Just something to shine my head. That's about it. And I can remember going on our first date. It was an early afternoon. I was a poor high school kid. and I wanted just to connect with her. I wanted to talk to her. And I wanted to go to a place where there was a table so we can sit and talk. I wanted to sit at that table and just look at her and say, hey, tell me things about you. 
I want to know these things. So I took her to the place where there was a table. I took her to Taco Bell. (laughs) We sat at Taco Bell. We looked at each other. We fell in love. See, we made a run for the border and fell in love. (laughs) The table was important to us. We got to know each other there. And today, Mar and I, we still sit at the table. We still go out and we talk. We don't go to Taco Bell anymore. But we do sit around a table and we get into each other's world. And God shows up around the table. I can also remember sitting around a table after giving my life to the Lord. And my father-in-law sat me down. And he was so excited that this, this, this new thing in my life was taking place. And he says, I have something for you. And he took a Bible and he slid it across the table and said, this is what I have for you. He explained to me how to open this up and how to read it. He explained to me that, hey, this right here is so important to your daily walk with God. You have to get into this. It's because it's going to change your life. God showed up around the table. Our meetings we have at church, like staff meetings, board meetings, all take place around the table. And some of our most important meetings happen around the table. And when I think about the table... There's God moments taking place around the table. And at the table, there are chairs. And those chairs have people that sit around the table. There's people sitting there. And if we're going to have God moments and be all in that God wants us to be, it's important that you have the right people at your table. And some of you are not experiencing the God moments you would like because you have the wrong people at your table. And today I've titled my message, Who's Sitting at Your Table? Who's Sitting at Your Table? Think about that for a second. Your table's set. The chairs are there. Do you have the right people there? Do you have the right people sitting at your table right now? Are they helping you move the ball down the field? The first person that should be at your table... The very first one, and it should be the head of your table, is this. Jesus needs to be the head of your table. Jesus needs to be at your table. He needs to be a part of that. When we accept Jesus in our hearts, in our Savior, we're saying, Jesus, you're the core. You're the center of everything I do. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What you're saying is, I'm going to live a Christ-centered life. I'm going to put God first in my heart. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to put God first in my life. I'm going to put the Bible's teaching into practice. I'm going to allow you to search my heart. I'm going to put God first in my needs and desires. You're saying, whatever I do, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put God, the head of my table. He's going to lead it. I'm going to follow him. But you know what I think happens so many times? We say Jesus is the first in our life. We say he's, he's sitting at my table. 
And really, some of us are pushing Jesus away from the table. He started out with a seat, but we just continue to keep pushing him out, keep pushing him away from the table, filling the table with so many other things. And Jesus eventually, he's not there. And you look, Jesus is out in the garage at the card table with the kids with the kerosene heater. (laughs) And we say, oh man, Jesus, I need you to come back. I need you to come back to my table. I need you to come back to my life. And what we do is we, we start trying to push him in and we realize, man, there's so many people around the table, I, I, can't, I can't squeeze them in. We realize that, oh, Jesus is not really at the head of my table. He's got a corner. He's only got a little spot at my table. The table's full. And he's on the edge. And some of us need to make some changes who sit at our table. We need to make sure the number one person at the table, the head of our table, is Jesus. Stop putting Jesus over here or away from the table. Start putting him at the head of the table. Put him at the head of your table. Make Jesus number one. Make him that number one seat. So my question is, who's sitting at your table? Is Jesus sitting at your table? Is he the head of your table? Or do you have him off to the side? Number two, who's sitting at your table? You need godly friends at your table. We need to have godly friends at our table. We need to pull up some chairs and have some godly friends at our table. And pull them in and have them there. So now you have Jesus at the head of your table. Now you have your godly friends there. Godly friends are important to have at your table. This, we live in this culture today, this mindset that kind of blows my mind that we're moving towards isolation. This mindset that I really don't need anybody. I don't do people, Keith. I don't need close friends. I can handle life on my own. I don't understand that thinking. Church, every single one of us need godly friends. None of us are meant to journey through life alone. God has placed people in our lives to help us better see his goodness and his love. You'll never be as sharp as God wants you to be or as powerful as God wants you to be if you don't have godly friends. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. A godly friend will sharpen you. You want to walk through life with people who love the Lord. You want to be friends with people who are pursuing the kingdom of God. You want to be friends with people who will pray with you. They'll laugh with you. They'll cry with you. Friends that will be there in good times and bad times. Friends who will help you become more like Jesus. Friends who will inspire you to do the right things. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward the love and good deeds. Do you have friends in your life who are spurring you on to good deeds? So the question is again, who's at your table? Jesus knew that in life, this world would be hard. 
That's why he instructed his disciples, hey, to go out and build godly friends. Christian friends will help you lift the burdens of life together. This will enlighten your load. Godly friends will encourage you. And what some of you desperately need right now are some godly friends in your life. Right now, you're sitting at the table all alone. You don't have nobody there with you. And you need godly friends right now in your life. You're missing out on what God has for your life because you think you don't need anybody. Here at Calvary, we have four core values. We have the first core value is God first. People are the priority. Number three, healthy things grow. And number four, we get to do this. Our third core value is healthy things grow. Something that is healthy is always growing, and that's what God wants. He wants us always to continue to be grown. He wants us to be healthy in that part. And growth comes as we get connected and stay connected with God and other Christians. We believe growth happens when you have a core group of godly friends. And we found that small groups, what we call life groups here at Calvary, provide that place of godly friends that are made. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, here we go. We're going to talk about life groups again. I've tried life groups. I couldn't find one. I went to a life group and their dog got on my nerves. I didn't like everything. (laughs) But we got to keep pushing and trying to find out who are our godly friends and put them at our table. Life groups are so important to us. We share life together. Each one of us need a life group. And over the last couple weeks, I've continued to hear stories of what's taking place in a life group. I have a friend right now who's in a life group who's just gone through a tough situation. He lost his spouse, you know, and his life group was right there walking through with him, walking life through with him in his hardest time of his life. His kids asked him, hey, dad, since mom's gone now, would you like to move up north with us? You know what his response was? No, my life group's here and my church is here. Because he knows who's sitting at his table. He has God sitting at his table, but he has his godly friends. He says, look, I'm doing life with them. Church, a life group will help you through your darkest times of your life. They'll be there through your happiest times. This is a group you share life with. And so I encourage you, as we continue to talk more and more about life groups, man, find a life group. Get involved in a life group. Because you want to see God move? Be around godly friends. You want to see God move around your table? Join a life group. How do you do that? Man, you just head out to our website or head out to the hub. But I want to tell you this. I know we're getting into the holiday season, so things are kind of wrapping up for life groups you know, this, this towards the end of this year here, make it a priority that the first of the year, you start looking to see what groups are available for you to be a part of. We encourage you to do that. At your table, you need godly friends, but you also have to be careful not to sit with bad company. Psalms 1.1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk, uh, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of of mockers. You will not be blessed and live your best life 
if you hang around who are wicked. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Man. It's in the Bible. God put it there. So he's saying, hey, friends are important. But he's also saying, look, mm, be careful. No matter how good your character is, no matter how much integrity you have, no matter how close you walk with the Lord, if you hang around bad company, your, par- your character will begin to change. There's a motivation speaker named Jim Rohn that says this, we are the average of five people we spend the most time with. So think about that for a second. Think about the five people you hang around with the most. You're the average of them. So if you hang around five people who are corrupt, you're the average of them. If you hang around five people who love the Lord, are on fire for God, guess what? Things are looking good for you. There's also a saying that says this, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Choose your friends carefully. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 through 25 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily anger. You'll become like the people you hang around. Think about it. If you want to live a wild life, a wild and crazy life, go out and hang out with some wild and crazy people because that's what your life will eventually be. If you want to have a life that's on fire for God, Go hang out with some people who are burning for Jesus. You are what you hang with. So be careful who you're putting at your table. In my backyard, um, my kids got me this peach tree a couple summers ago. And so I planted this peach tree and uh, put it in a good spot that had some shade. You know, I'm not some shade, sorry, because it wouldn't do good. So... Uh, put it in a good spot that had some sun, made sure I was watering it every summer. Well, here lately, the peach tree, I should say this summer, the peach tree just started to produce all these peaches. I mean, big peaches. Like, I thought I was the peach truck, you know, because it was so many peaches that were coming and big, healthy ones. And as I was watching the peaches and I, you know, I was checking them on a regular basis, like, I can't wait. You know, I was Googling all these peach recipes that we can, all these things we can do with it. But I started to know, notice that the peaches started to, some of the peaches started to change some color. They started getting these black spots on them. Then I started to know, I noticed a little bit of insects around there. So I'm like, man, I spent some time on this peach tree. I want these peaches. So I went and I went to a, a, a place that had a, a, you know, a person I can talk to, you know, and they said, hey, I got this peach tree. Can you help me out? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you have to do with your tree, and I didn't know this. Some of you guys are like, well, yeah, duh, Pastor Keith, that you should do this. You have to spray your tree because of the fruit on the tree. It's going to keep it healthy. It's going to keep the bugs away. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And so the person gave me the stuff and sprayed the tree, and it worked. You know, and we had all these peaches. But she also told me this. You're also going to see that your peach tree is going to start dropping peaches to the ground. And she goes, don't be alarmed by that. 
She goes, why the tree is doing that is because the tree wants to keep all the other fruit healthy in its life. And it realizes that, hey, I can't take care of all these other peaches, so I got to drop these other ones and get rid of them. I got to produce the healthy fruit. And when I think about that tree and think about the peaches that are in there, in our life, we're supposed to produce fruit, right? We're supposed to do that. But if we start allowing these friends come in our life who are not so godly, guess what? Those, they're the insects. They're the ones that start taking our fruit in our life and changing our fruit and making it start to rot, making it start to stink. And people see that change in us. They see the fruit because the fruit comes from our heart. They start to see, man, they're so bitter. They're just so nasty. It's because we haven't taken time to be aware of the insects that are coming around us to corrupt us. We have to go back and look and say, okay, what friends do I have at the table with me? Are they godly or they're not the godly friends? Back when I was in high school, I was keeping company with the wrong crowd. And what was happening during the week, and even on Friday and Saturday, we'd sit around a table. and We'd laugh and cut up, but around our table, we'd have alcohol, we'd have cards, we were cussing, we were looking at things we shouldn't do. This was my table. Then guess what I did? On Sunday morning, I would go to church. Sunday morning, I'd go to church, and I'd stand, I'd lift my hands and praise God. I looked like I was a good Christian. I looked like I was doing all the right things. Then I'd walk out, then I'd sit back around the table with my friends and do the same thing again. Same thing. These friends I had, I couldn't get away from them. And one of the worst decisions I had to make, I should say one of the hardest decisions I had to make in my life, difficult decisions, and one of the best decisions was I had to change my friends. I had to change my friends. It was difficult. These were my friends. We grew up together. These were my boys. How did I, ha- I had to make this? But I had to make this decision. I knew if I keep hanging out with them, it wasn't going to end well. I knew if I did, it, I knew if I did this, I was going to keep going down a wrong road. And that wasn't the right road for me, because I kept going down that road, I was going to miss out on God. I know some of you are saying, well, Keith, I got friends, I got godly friends, but I also have some of those friends you have, and I need to hang out with them because I'm witnessing to them. I need to keep witnesses to them. I need to keep, I got I to gotta show them Jesus. And my response to that is this, you know what? That's really cool that you're doing that. But make sure that if you're still going to hang around with those friends, they're encouraging you to follow Jesus and helping you say no to sin. But what I'm afraid of, those friends are encouraging you to follow sin and say no to Jesus. And if that's the case, you might want to consider cutting ties with those friends. It's not an easy decision. But if you want God to move around your table, you got to remove those friends. 
And some of you are at a point in your life where you're missing out on what God has for your life. You're being held back. And it's tied to who's at your table. Who's at your table is so critical. That's why the Bible says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk with the wicked. So who's sitting at your table? The next person who should be sitting at your table is a mentor. We need to have mentors in our life. I'm, I'm, I've been really big on this for a long time, is having mentors sit at our table. See, a mentor helps you grow. A mentor helps you see things that you might not see. A mentor helps you see further down the road. Walk with the wise and become the wise. Proverbs 13, 20 says this again, walk with the wise and become wise for the companion of the fools who suffer harm. In life, we need mentors. We need mentors at our table. Having a mentor, again, like I said, really helps you show what's taking place in your life. It helps you see the things coming up. Helps you see the things in your life. Mentors sometimes see things before you see them. And you can have mentors in different parts of your life. You can have a mentor for your family, for your marriage, for how to be a parent, for finances, or just for the season you're going through. And when selecting a mentor, I want to ask you to do something here. Be careful who you choose, but also make sure you're choosing a mentor that's right for you. When selecting a mentor about parenting, make sure you select a uh, mentor who actually has kids. <laughs> that have kids that have grown up maybe and that their kids, are, their kids are doing well. Don't choose a mentor that says, hey, I'll be your mentor for you to be a parent and they have no kids. It doesn't work. If you're going to choose somebody to be a mentor for your marriage, choose that couple and make sure they're married. Make sure they have a healthy marriage. So many times I've seen people say, hey, they're my mentor. And I'm like, what are they mentoring you on? Well, my marriage. I'm like, they're not even married. How does that work? Walk with the wise and become wise. Mentors have helped me so much in my life. Back home, growing up again in Sandusky, after I got saved, I went to this church. And there was a group I would go to on Sunday mornings before church. It was a men's group. And I would sit around a table with some guys older than me, and uh, I would sit there and just talk to them. And these guys, I must have been their project. But it was, yeah, yeah. They did a great job. So, but these guys were awesome, because when I sat around the table with them, there was one guy that says, okay, hey, Keith, you know what? You have a skills trade gift. What are you going to do with that? So let me help you get into a skills trade school. So he walked me through that part of how to get in this school. Then there was another guy said, okay, hey, you know what? Let me help you be the man of God that you need to be. Let me, let me help you teach you scripture. Then there was another guy that just said, hey, you know what? You're going to have some interviews coming up. Let me help you do well in interviews. And so these guys just poured into me. And, they, and it was phenomenal. These were my mentors when I was a young guy, and it paid off, and it was so, so good. Some of these guys I'm still connected with right now. There's a guy there, his name's Eric, and I call him every once in a while, hey, Eric, how's life going? And he still is like, hey, he's still, still pouring to me. That's why I think men's ministry is so important for us as guys. 
Because you know what? When you come to men's ministry, you're going to find somebody in there that can mentor you as well. We, take, we have men's ministry takes place the first Saturday every month here. It's called First Thing. It happens at 8.30 in the morning. Some guys say, oh my goodness, that's too early. <laughs> I know it's early. But God shows up around the tables we sit at. And I feel like some of us, we just make too many excuses why we can't be here on a Saturday morning. You say, well, or I don't need that. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a filled, I'm a great Christian. But what you have, you can pour into a young man's life. So it goes with my next part of that. Not only do we need mentors in our life, we need to have mentees in our life as well. Somebody that we're speaking into their life. Somebody that we're mentoring them. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, Therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. This verse is just not talking to pastors. This verse is talking to all of us who follow Christ. We say, look, the Lord is my Savior. I'm a Christ follower. He's saying, go and make disciples. So you should have a mentee, somebody you're mentoring as well, at your table. Somebody you're pouring into and saying, look, this is how you walk for God. These are the things you should know. This is what it means to be a husband. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. So the question again is, who's sitting at your table? You'd have mentors and mentees at your table. And I believe this, if you want God to move in our lives and move around our tables, we need to be carefully, careful on who we're choosing around our tables. We need to have the right people at the table. And some of you might be thinking, Keith, I get what you're saying. I understand that I need to have the right people at the table. And I think I got a lot of the right people at the table. But my question is, what do I do when I have somebody at the table that I really don't want there? What do I do with that? Maybe that person's a family member. But maybe it's somebody that's sitting there that hurts you. Maybe it's somebody who the family's bringing in and they're sitting at your table. And you just don't think they should be sitting at your table. What do you do with that? How do I do that? Someone who just doesn't fit in. In the book of Luke, we see a story of a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him. And all the people saw this, and they get what they did. They started to grumble and mutter, like, oh my goodness, Jesus is going to the house of Zacchaeus. He's going to sit with the sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, here I am now, and I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay four times that amount. And look what Jesus said to him in Luke chapter 19, verse 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, 
And because this man is too, too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. <coughs> Excuse me. Zacchaeus' life was changed. Zacchaeus got a chance to sit at the table. He got a chance to sit at the table with Jesus. And guess what happened? God moved at that table. And Zacchaeus' life was changed. So I go back to that question. Because I have that question. What if I have somebody sitting at the table I don't want there? Someone that I can't separate myself from. I can't help to think this. If we're going to put Jesus at the head of our table and trust him with everything and say, Jesus, you're my first, don't you think that Jesus brings people to the table that he wants there? See, God will bring people to the table because he trusts you. He wants them because he knows this is the right table for them. <coughs> Excuse me. And he knows that this table is where they can only see Jesus. This might be the table where they experience God. This might be the table where they can see God show up and move. Instead of questioning why, let's start trusting who God is and who God has at our table and start praying, how can God use us? The last couple of weeks, I've been to uh, three funerals. And uh, two of the funerals I was a part of, were able to be a part of. The other one, I was there because I just knew the person. And what I saw at the funeral when it came to the time of, hey, we're going to speak about this person's life. And you, I saw and kept seeing, I should say, seeing these things and hearing these things of how God showed up in this person's life and how God moved in their life, how God created them and all these opportunities that God used them for. And the number one thing I heard was this. Their faith was number one. They made sure that God was the head of their table. No matter what they went through, they said, Jesus, you're the head of our table. They didn't push Jesus away like so many of us keep doing. They said, no, Jesus, you're the head of my table. And so what happened was they started having friends around their table, and their friends' lives were changed. Their friends saw God move at the table. Throughout their life, they had a chance to be mentored by people, and then they also had a chance to mentor other people. And God showed up. And I really believe if we have Jesus at the head of our table, if we have godly friends at the table, and if we have mentors and mentees at the table, God's going to show up. He's going to move. He's going to move in your family. He's going to move in your marriage. He's going to move in your life. And some of us are sitting here today and we say, hey man, God's just not moving in my life. He's not moving in my marriage. He's not moving in these things. And so the question I go back to again is, who, who's at your table? Because if we have the wrong people at the table, guess what? We can't move. Psalms 139, 23 says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. The only way he can search you and search your heart 
is that he's number one. He's the head of your table. Today, and that's what I want to make sure we do before we leave today. So I'm just going to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads today. I want to give you that opportunity to make Jesus the head of your table. So with every eye closed right now, is there somebody here today that says, you know what? I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I've never asked Jesus to be the head of my table. And that's you today with every eye closed. Can you just raise your hand? You say, today, I want Jesus the head of my table. I want want to ask him into my heart, yes. Thank you. Anybody else that says, you know what? I just want to ask Jesus into my heart today. Hands up, okay. My next question I have is this. Maybe you're here today and you say that Jesus has been the head of my table, but I've realized I've pushed him in the way. And today I need to make sure that I invite him back into my table, that I'm making sure things are right, that Jesus is coming back to my table. That is you today. Can you just raise your hand and say, you know what, I've pushed Jesus away and now I want him, I want him back at my table. Yes, hands up. Thank you. So what I want to do today is I want to pray what we call a salvation prayer. And I just want you to pray these words after me today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. And Jesus, I believe you came to this earth and you died on a cross for my sins. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and let me make you the head of my table. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray for the people that have raised their hand and said, you know what? I've pushed you away a little bit, but I want you back. So God, I pray for that. God, I pray that as the person is searching for godly friends, God, let them find their friends, the friends that you've chosen for them. God, I pray that for the mentors that we need in our life, God, I pray that you bring the mentors that we need, but also, God, the Allow us to be able to have the opportunity to mentor to other people. God, we thank you for the table. And God, we look forward to what you're going to do around the table and continue to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, thank you so much. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next Sunday.